You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. My guest on this episode of Talking Taiwan is Charles Yu. He's the author of Interior Chinatown, which has won the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. Yes, uh, I just want to say congratulations on winning the National Book Award for your latest novel, Interior Chinatown. But before we talk about that, how are you and your family doing in this pandemic? I actually came across your piece in The Atlantic, The Pre-Pandemic Universe Was the Fiction. And uh, the title suggests a really interesting proposition, especially when you consider all that the pandemic has exposed. Can we talk about that? Sure. Yeah, my parents live, um, they live about an hour away. We're all here in Southern California, but they're they're about 50 miles north of here. And, um, you know, it's been really tough. They're, they're getting up there in years. And so they're, they're quite vulnerable just by virtue of their age. In addition, uh, my mom uh, has, was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. She's been fighting that. Um, and so she's quite immunocompromised. So mostly we've had to stay away and just do a lot of FaceTime and, and Skypes. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's really hard on everyone. My kids are, are pretty adaptable. I think we're, we're lucky in, in that they are middle school aged. And so they're not really little. They're not like, you know, climbing up the walls. But at the same time, you know, they're missing out on social interaction, you know. So uh, and my wife and I just basically, you know, sort of watch the news and doom scroll all day long and <laughs> keep each other's spirits up to the extent we can. But a lot of spiraling, you know, into like, oh, my God, what is happening? So that's sort of where we're at. Um, is there anything else you would like to say about that particular piece at all? Yeah. Um, you know, I think... The the, the 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 I wrote that piece right at the beginning. You know, I, I think the editor there at the Atlantic, um, Adrian LaFrance, emailed me uh, in March, wow. like, "You want to write about this?" And I thought, "Yeah." And it was pub- maybe even yeah, it must have been March. And then in February, I'm sorry, in April, the piece was published, mm-hmm. and it almost seems in like a micro way, like a historical document of like thinking about what it would be like. And now I'm sort of dividing it into like early pandemic, middle. I I, I would call this late, except for who knows how much longer it's going to go, yeah. especially with the latest news. I, I, it's really just shaken up every assumption uh, about, you know, sort of, you know, what's important to us. Um, it, it's, it, has, it has had some unexpected benefits, uh, you know, in that I'm in some ways closer to people, even my parents in some ways, because we do spend a lot of time on the phone, you know, like because before it would be a weekly or biweekly visit for dinner, you know, or lunch. And that would be, you know, not perfunctory, but there, there would be, you know, you just get into the rhythm of life and you're not always connecting. And now it's like we take nothing for granted. Um, and, and, and of course, you know, to state the obvious, there's also a lot of really scary things that we used to take for granted that we no longer do and and it's just had me thinking you know as a dad as a husband as a son but also just as like a, a citizen you know like well, what am i supposed to be doing you know um just not taking even a few years into the future for granted you know like you just think oh my kids will go to college i'll get older this that who knows now i i, I really do feel that much up in the air and i, I imagine i'm not alone you're you're not yeah. in, so i, I yeah. don't hope any it's making sense <laughs> at all, yeah yeah very much so 
I also came across one of your interviews on TaiwaneseAmerican.org, and um, I think you said something about that when you started writing when you were younger, you actually started off writing poetry. Is that right? Yeah, I yeah. Uh, I wrote I wrote poetry when I was a little kid, and I'm not exactly sure what prompted me to do that. But I I, I mean I, I liked reading. I, I I remember carrying this little book bag around from when I was three or four years old. I you know I, I don't think I could read the books yet, but I would just <laughs> like put books in there. Um, and then when I was in fourth grade, uh, our class took a trip to Yosemite, which was mm-hmm. sort of weird because mm-hmm. we were pretty young for a sleepaway mm-hmm. trip and. I was inspired by the natural beauty and I started writing poems and my teacher found them and, um, and that probably gave me like the writing bug. Uh, and then in, in college I went to undergrad at Berkeley and they don't have a creative writing major or they didn't when I was there anyway. I, I'm not sure if they do now. Um, but I minored in creative writing. Um, my Taiwanese parents were not thrilled with that. I'll be honest. <laughs> They're very supportive of my writing since then, but, uh, they, I think they were afraid that I was going to try to be a professional poet. <laughs> Don't do that. It's pretty hard. Um, so anyway, I wrote poetry in, uh, at Berkeley, and um, but I didn't start writing fiction until a little, until later. Oh, okay. And so, do you still write poetry these days? Um, no. <laughs> I recently found I, at my parents' house. I, I guess it would have been like right at the beginning of the pandemic. I was there, or maybe early summer. I, I was cleaning out boxes and I found like some of my old poems wow. from Burke. Wow. I was sort of cringing. <laughs> I throw them away, but no, I don't write anymore. <laughs> so, since this is the Talking Taiwan podcast, can you talk a little bit about your connection to Taiwan? Yeah, um, my parents are Taiwanese. They immigrated here from Taiwan in the '60s. Um, my dad came first. Um, and he was an engineering student, uh, so he came on a scholarship, a graduate scholarship, and he landed in Mississippi, uh, which is, um, I write about it in the book a bit uh, in terms of a fictionalized version, I mean, um, but that was the inspiration of that, uh, just imagining what it would be like for him to end up there. Uh, and my mom actually also landed in the South somehow. Um, she went to live with uh, a, a relative who was, um, in Alabama. So they, they both lived in quite a few places in the States, but yeah, they're both Taiwanese and, you know, growing up, they definitely, um, tried to, um, instill that sense of identity, you know, that we, uh, were Taiwanese and, um, what that meant. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we went to camps, we went to TAF, which is how I met Ho Chi Thai. Um, mm-hmm. We, my parents even uh, helped organize a, a summer youth camp in Southern California, where we live, uh, through TACL. So, so it was definitely a big part of growing up that being a Taiwanese American. And uh, so, yeah, that's basically it. Great. And um, how would you describe your latest book, Interior Chinatown? Um, I would describe it as. Well, it's the story of um, this guy, Willis Wu. He's the main character. And he, uh, Willis, um, w- when the book opens, his job is to be generic Asian man number three, which uh, slash delivery guy is kind of a all-purpose utility player. And um, 
I guess the easiest way to describe that is that he's kind of an actor. Um, but the role he plays is um, both an actual part in a show called Black and White. Um, and it's also his identity on some level. It's how he sees himself because he's internalized how people see him to such a degree that that's sort of how he thinks of himself. And so the story is Willis starts starting out as generic Asian man dreaming of being Kung Fu guy, which is sort of like the highest he can be. It's the bamboo ceiling, right? In this (laughs) black and white show, Asian guy can't get any higher than Kung Fu guy. And so that's what he dreams of being. And the story is really, um, you know, told in this sort of strange way, right? It's a novel, but a lot of it, uh, most of it is in kind of a screenplay format, really. Um, it, it bends the rules of screenplay format, but nominally a screenplay. Um, and so, uh, you know, some of it's about, you know, Hollywood and representations of, of Asians on, on, in film in the U.S. And some of it is about... Um, those stereotypes in a larger sense. Now let's hear an excerpt from Interior Chinatown, read by Charles. Interior Golden Palace, morning. In the world of black and white, everyone starts out as generic Asian man. Everyone who looks like you, anyway. Unless you're a woman, in which case you start out as pretty Asian woman. You all work at Golden Palace, formerly Jade Palace, formerly Palace of Good Fortune. There's an aquarium in the front and cloudy tanks of rock crabs and two-pound lobsters crawling over each other in the back. Laminated menus offer the lunch special, which comes with a bowl of fluffy white rice and choice of soup, egg drop, or hot and sour. A neon Qingdao sign blinks and buzzes behind the bar in the dimly lit space a dropped ceiling room with lacquered ornate woodwork or some imitation, everything simmering in a warm, seedy red glow thrown off by the dollar store paper lanterns festooned above, many of them darkened by dead moths, the paper yellowing, ripped, curling in on itself. You wear the uniform, white shirt, black pants, black slipper-like shoes that have no traction. Your haircut is not good, to say the least. Black and white always look good. A lot of it has to do with the light. They're the heroes. They get hero lighting, designed to hit their faces just right. Designed to hit White's face just right, anyway. Someday you want the light to hit your face like that. To look like the hero, or for a moment, to actually be the hero. Well, what inspired you to write write Interior Chinatown? It's weird because when I when I started writing the book, it was many years ago, like either 2012 or 2013. Oh wow! Yeah, it was in the the mists of the past, and like it was very different back then. It was like I had some pages that were based on these characters, um, Dorothy and Ming Chen Wu, who they are immigrants. At that time, it felt kind of like magical realism. I don't know exactly what I was trying to do, but I thought there was something interesting about you came from one land, 
you ended up in another land, you don't know the rules of this new land, there's a kind of magic that will happen as you, as these characters assimilate. Um, even now talking about it, I can see why it never worked because I can't figure out what I was trying to do exactly. I, I, I was think I think I was hoping to wave my hands around and some some like magic would happen. <laughs> um, and then after years of searching for a better way to tell the story, um, I I kind of stumbled on this this idea of generic Asian man of Willis Wu, and and that gave uh, like a character and a a story arc i guess you know um that it gave me a shape that really helped me understand what i was trying to do so Mm -hmm. and so how did you decide to and why did you decide to write it as a screenplay format well i I don't know you know decision is like a strong word it's it's like you you kind of as a writer, sometimes I think I operate on instinct, you know, and I, I don't think all writers necessarily do that. I think some are probably more deliberate, but I, I think when I heard the first few lines of, of this book, I said that that's interesting. I want to keep pursuing that. And once I realized what that meant, like who this character is, he's an actor, he's in this kind of fake show called black and white. I thought, well, it would be very useful if I could create it as a screenplay, because then what you could do if you can read a screenplay is you can have the official narrative of the script and then you can have his thoughts outside of the official narrative. And I wanted both levels. You know, I wanted the story to work interior, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and I wanted it to be an also kind of technically a show that you could watch, you know, it'd be a very weird show, but like to watch this show. So I, I, I thought, well, it's going to be a challenge to write that in this form. It'd be much easier to just write as a story, but it'll also make it more interesting to me. So I went for it. So along those lines of um, your writing style, you mentioned that you you write on instinct. I'm wondering, are you the kind of writer who knows in advance what's going to happen to your characters, or do you just kind of let them speak to you and come to life as you're writing and then see what's going to happen to them? That's a good question. Um a little of both, mm-hmm. I think, is the answer. I, I, I wish I were the kind of person who planned a little better because I think I, would, I wouldn't I would write so slowly, one. And uh, it would probably save me work on the back end if I thought through what I was doing. But the problem with that for me is when I get to, I guess, left brain about it, um, I just kind of... I stop thinking about it emotionally or in a way that feels like it's coming from somewhere that, that will connect with people. It mm-hmm. just becomes cer- cerebral. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the honest answer is I, I want to say toggle between the two, but it, it's a little more chaotic than that. I just sort of like, uh, you know, flail between the two is probably the honest answer. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I got to try this approach, meaning I got to switch back to just going, what is, what is the heart of the matter and then when that becomes uh, not useful anymore, I, I, I step back and look, okay, what am I doing? And then I try to be more systematic about it. I think, I think maybe that is, ends up having a kind of productivity to it, but in the moment it is, it doesn't feel like it. It just feels like what, you know, yeah, I'm deleting like, things that I just wrote. 
<laughs> well, that's honest. Thank you for sharing that. Um, how would you say that this novel compares to your first novel? I saw on your Google author talk, it was kind of interesting. You said that somebody commented that the first novel being about the time machine repair guy and uh, how they commented that that character is sad. And you said that it, you feel like sad is your default mode for writing and that you should make a note to write something happy instead. So it really seems like you kind of accomplished that with this novel. <laughs> uh, I forgot that I said that. Uh, thanks for reminding me. That's, that's funny. <laughs> it is true, though. I, the default is sad still. Um, I know. And people are like, why? You know, I, I think some people that know me are, think you're not an especially sad person. I mean, I probably was a little melancholic growing up, you know, and uh, probably still am if left alone. But I think my wife is not. So I think that's actually probably changed my wavelength a little bit. Yeah, I I think that I did with this novel. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that wants to read it. But um, I think there's different tones in there other than sad. <laughs> I'm right. glad about that. Yeah. And um, you've gotten like a lot of really good um, press and acknowledgement and um, I saw that you actually even got on The Daily Show. What was it like being on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah? Uh, it was fun. I mean, it, it's fun now to remember it, but honestly, I was really scared. I do not sure. enjoy... I enjoy conversations um, mm -hmm. like this, especially uh, audio, but... Um, and that was... I don't know. He was really nice. You know, he, he came back to this green room where I was sitting with my wife and, uh, you know, my editor and he introduced himself and he took a picture with, there was actually my editor, my agent and my publicist were all there. It was very exciting, right? For, yeah. you know, it's just going to happen. And so we're, they're all there to like support me and keep me from freaking out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and so we took some pictures, uh, and honestly, you know, the whole thing was like a buildup for a, a, about less than five minutes. I, I remember thinking when he ended it, I was like, oh, that was really short. And I was like, did he cut it short? Because I was like, he could tell I was scared because I couldn't even, I was just so focused on him. I didn't want to turn my head this way at all because I, then I would see the studio audience and I, I knew I would probably lock up if I did that. Um, so I just stuck with like what I had, you know. The, the talking points that my wife and I had rehearsed so I wouldn't like start rambling <laughs> which I have a tendency to do oh I see yeah it can be I could imagine it could be pretty nerve-wracking but that was an amazing opportunity I'm sure really good exposure for you yeah it was it was yeah. really fun yeah um and you've also had some opportunities to write for tv right how did that come about and um did that lead to or help uh with your writing of interior Chinatown um, yeah, I, I started doing that, um, a couple of years before I wrote this. I was already trying to write the book when I started working in TV, but I was stuck. And I think after, um, I had been working in TV for about, I don't know, two, two and a half years, this new format of the screenplay occurred to me. So it, it seems like that's probably what got me in the mindset of doing it is I was suddenly spending all my time thinking about scripts and of course why not write a novel as a script so but yeah that, I did that um, I've been doing that since 2014 I, I was a lawyer for several years before that and then I quit that uh, to go work in TV so that's sort of my new day job oh great 
Um, so do you have any aspirations to write something yourself for TV? Um, I do, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a couple of projects now. You know, we'll see if they actually end up, you know, being ordered to series and, and ending up on the air. But, um, but yeah, I'd love to. You know, it's hard. It's very different. It's so collaborative, um, which I enjoy. But at the same time, part of me is very solitary. And I, I would love to just write things and just send them to someone else. And it's like, okay, if you want to make that, please go ahead. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't, I don't, I can't help you. <laughs> But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to ask you what's the difference between writing for TV and a book, and you answered my question. Also um, noticed that um, your other work, um, for example, the stories of the third-class superhero, has been described as Kafka-esque, um, and your work has been compared to Kurt Vonnegut and Douglas Adams. How do you feel about that? Uh feel that it's uh well i i appreciate it but it's also like you know a little crazy <laughs> it's like okay those are you know like literary sort of heroes of mine um i mean it it's uh, it's wonderful if it gets someone to open the book but also at the same time i think if you oversell me <laughs> they're going to be disappointed <laughs> i just say there's a new person that you might want to check out no <laughs> Um, so, what authors or contemporary writers do you um, admire or have influenced you? Well, Kurt Vonnegut is one. Um, let's see. It's so funny because you would think after doing like many conversations, I would have answers ready. <laughs> but I guess this also shows I don't really have canned answers. But anytime someone asks me this question in particular, I just completely blank. <laughs> this question plus what books are you reading now? And then I'm like, I don't, I don't have I, don't, I literally can't answer. Um, you know, I, I really loved, um, not an author, but like, you know, I think watching the movies of Charlie Kaufman, he's very meta and he, he does things that are really sort of experimental. And I think that's the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell, um, with my fiction early on, just, I guess, stories where, you're sort of questioning what's even going on. You know, I, I think in that way, I, I've always been a little bit, I guess, philosophical or just, I don't mind getting kind of weird with mm. like, you know, where are we? What are we doing here? So. And um, I'm wondering, um, why do you write or why do you need to write? Because presumably you have a pretty busy life. Uh, before you were a lawyer, you have a family. And um, so somebody in that position, I think you ha really have to have a reason why you write or to put aside the time to write. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it, it, you know, it comes at the expense of a lot of time with uh, loved ones and friends or hobbies or just watching TV. Um, I usually somehow make time to watch TV no matter what. <laughs> and that's uh, sadly. Um, I don't know. It's just, I, I would say compulsion. It, that feels like more negative than I mean. It's just, I could not do it. You know, I honestly think if I, if you said you, you're not allowed to write anything for 30 days, for the first 10 days, I would say, like, thank you. You know, like, I'd just be relieved and enjoying it just to say, okay, I'm not allowed to write. And then the next 10 days, I'd probably start to go a little crazy. You know, I think that's what would happen. And probably by the end, I'd be secretly trying to remember, <laughs> like, things to write them down because it just, that's how it is. So for a lot of years, yeah, I had to balance it against a day job and a family um, 
and it just felt like, why am I doing this? Also, no one's really reading, you know, like, especially when you start out, you're definitely writing for like, for free and for an imagined audience someday. And then even after publishing, honestly, publishing three books, there would be parts of me just say, well, that was great. And I feel really like accomplished that I did that. But if I really look at who's reading it and the numbers and also how much time I spent to have a few thousand people maybe pick up the book, you know, it's it's great. But it's also like, was that worth the time I spent away from my family and friends? Um, and And even taking all of that into account, it's still somehow it's like I could not do it. I probably would be a very unhappy person. I'm like, I'm unhappy because I'm as a writer, I'm unhappy all the time because <laughs> I'm never either. I'm never working enough or I'm never producing enough good work, but I know I'd be even more unhappy not doing it. Mm, so. Yeah. Um, so do you have a writing routine? No, okay. <laughs> it's a short answer. <laughs> I try to, but I mean, I do, I do write every day now because uh-huh. it's my job. When uh-huh. I was a lawyer, I, it's weird. The times I would get the most done would be driving, you know, like in my head and then like scribbling something down in the parking lot before I had to go into Mm. work. Even as a TV writer, sometimes that's when I get the most done. It's like five minutes right before the lunch break is over. For some reason, that's when suddenly I become productive and I'm like, like, do or die. (laughs) Right. Are there any particular themes or things that inspire you to write? I think family is the big one. I think just the relationship, you know, between parents and children or between partners or between I think close family is for whatever reason I was returned to and the other would be this kind of I don't want to say existential that just sounds pretentious but it's sort of like yeah the questions of like what are we supposed to be doing and who am I really that Mm -hmm. what advice would you have for someone who's struggling to write their first book Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of what I would want to hear that wouldn't annoy (laughs) me (laughs) because I could say something sort of sort of faux inspirational or I could say something you know insincere that sounds cynical right I mean I mean I I think that for me it had to go back to um like with this book this was my fourth but it was by far the hardest I mean it took seven years you know why do you think that was um combination of I had pressure Mm -hmm. you know I had a contract to actually deliver this book Uh This is the first time I've had that, right? Mm-hmm. Every other book has basically been on spec. You know, mm-hmm. I had to finish it and then mm-hmm. sell it. Mm-hmm. This time, I, I actually had a book contract. I think that was part of it. I think another part was I felt like, um, you know, for the reasons I was discussing before, a little bit like my first three books, I hadn't, I had really written something that, um, for one reason or many reasons, just hadn't connected with that many people. And I thought, I wasn't thinking I want to have a big mass audience. I was just thinking, how do I write something that actually is part of a larger conversation, you know, um, that will maybe get people talking or that I would want to read myself um, about these topics. But I think that was a detriment to the process. Yeah, to live up to that. Yeah, It really was. I think thinking about some imaginary audience that was bigger than my actual thinking. I eventually had to put that aside and just go back to the idea and say, it doesn't matter if five people read this or, you know, 5,000 or 500,000. I had to get back to what I really felt like I had to say and say it in the most 
pure weird form that it wanted to be and just let it be that and so i guess i if i had to give any advice it would be that it's if you're struggling with a book and you feel like you have to say something then it's worth it just to do it for itself whether or not someone ends up putting it between their covers with you know the fancy logo a lot of that goes away really quickly anyway after you publish the book all that's left is really what you wrote and people will find it if it connects with somebody. I also find, too, is that it's great to have, you know, sometimes you get to go to a festival and there's 200 people in the audience. That's exciting. It's fun. Most of those 200 people, whether they read the book or not, if you don't interact with them, you're not going to, I don't know, get the joy from that as the as a writer. Yes, you might have brought joy to the reader. But really, it's like these one-on-one conversations like we're having right now that is sustaining to me as a writer. And I feel like that's what I think about when I'm writing is that there's going to be at some point one person sitting alone in their room reading this, you know, and I write for that person. Right. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to share about um, interior Chinatown or your writing at all? Can you talk about how you transitioned into your job in TV then maybe? Oh yeah, sure. Um, So I graduated from law school in 2001 and I worked as a lawyer until 2014. In that time I had sort of like multiple phases of being a lawyer. I had the early phase of I'm never going to make it. They're definitely going to fire me after six months because (laughs) I don't, this is is a hard job. I'm not cut out for it. I'm, I'm scared. But then to my surprise or maybe just dumb luck, I like kind of scraped by, you know, like I was at this kind of high pressure firm and I could tell, like, I was not one of the favorites. But um, they, you know, I learned a lot there um, in terms of, like, working hard and being organized and sort of just, like, getting up and doing it every day. And then I think I transitioned in this sort of slightly less pressure kind of phase where for many years I was working in-house um, as a lawyer. Um, and that kind of there was this balance of I had enough time to write that I could actually get stuff done, but it never felt like enough, you know, between work and and family and friends, you know, I I didn't, I felt pretty stretched thin, but you know, I was still doing it. I was starting to publish and that really felt validating. It was like, well, it's out in the world, you know, someone will find it and that's great. Um, And so I I really kind of let go of this idea um, that I had early on of like, I'm, I can't make as a lawyer. I'm going to have to figure something else out. Maybe I can, I don't know, teach or something like publish a book and someone will hire me to, to be a teacher, a professor somewhere. And I let go of that idea, you know, and also because at that point we had a, my wife and I had a family. So I was like, well, I'm going to balance all this, you know, like I think I need to stay a lawyer. Like that's the stable, responsible thing to do. And I really like, I don't want to say came to peace. That's not, that makes it sound like I was struggling. You know, I just felt like I, I let go of the expectation that I needed to like have some huge success. You know, I was just like, I get to write and I get to work for a living. That's great. And also writing and money were very decoupled from each other. You know, like I didn't write for a living. And so um, I think that was freeing in a way. So at that point, I had I still though I had struggled so much with the book that I did feel like I needed to take a little bit of a sabbatical 
um, from working, which was a really weird thing to do. I mean, we had just moved to Irvine, which is where we live now, and we have two kids, and I was like, could I really do this? But I just thought, I have to finish this book, or... And that was Interior you know, Chinatown? That was Interior Chinatown, yeah. So that was 2014, and I thought, I asked my boss, I was like, I, I think I might need to leave the job for a while, and, and you know, whether that, if you can hire me back, great. If not, I understand. And I had had that conversation. And then after deciding that, I got a call to have an interview for a job on the writing staff of a show on HBO. And it was, it really was out of the blue. I mean, I was not looking for this kind of job. I had had gone on many meetings where I met like executives that worked for networks, so, which is how I got on their kind of list. Mm. But those are mostly meetings, like what they call general meetings, where it's like you just sit down and you're just like having a conversation for an hour. Mm. And there's no promise either way of like, I'm going to pitch you something or you're going to hire me. Just like, let's get to know each other. If we ever have an opportunity, maybe we'll call you. Um, or if you ever have an idea, now you've met me, so you can pitch me. Um, but somehow they're like, just based i'd never written a script at that point really i mean i'd written a few scripts but they were all in the drawer they were terrible but um they they they're like would you come meet for this show and i thought well this is crazy you know there's no way they're gonna hire me but of course i have to go and i was really stressed because i had to drive you know living in irvine working in irvine had to drive to burbank which is like two hours on the la freeways like how am i gonna make it there and i I I guess i have to take the day off so i went up there for the meeting and they did this thing, which they do sometimes on projects, where it's like, we're not going to send you the script uh, by email. It's too secretive. you know. Uh, so I had to go in a room where they handed me one copy of the script, and I sat there and I read it for an hour or 90 minutes. And then I had to give it back, and I left. And I came back like a week later and had the meeting. And they hired me, and I thought, this is crazy. How am I going to take this job? You know, like, Will I get health insurance? you know is can i is it stable enough what happens if the show gets canceled so i had to, you know my wife and i had to really decide is this the time to take a risk and uh i did so that was wow that's how i jumped into tv wow. i don't know if that's what you're looking for but I no just no yeah thank you for sharing that i mean it's so interesting you know uh for somebody that's not in the industry it's always kind of curious how that happens um sounds like it happened at the right time for you yeah right so is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we uh, end? One other thing I, I thought about the book that I think I would love to share is is that, and, and I think it's, it's something inherent, so this might sound really obvious, but it, it maybe sometimes gets less talked about by me, but also it is, is the feature that it's really, the, the story is about how some people are thought of as, you know, the heroes. And in this, in this world, it's like white and black are, are kind of the stars of the show. And, and that's a conversation about race and how in America um, it's very much, sometimes it feels like the dialogue about race ends up being boiled down to that as if, you know, it's a country with a history of discrimination by whites against blacks. And so I was trying to tell a story that is much more sort of multivalent, you know, 360, right? There's, there have been Asians here. There have been, 
you know, first, I guess, Chinese probably in the 1830s or something, they started coming. There have been um, obviously the waves of Taiwanese and, and others, Koreans that came, you know, later in the 60s and 70s. And, and, and so there's a, there's a lot more sort of, to say nothing of all the other sort of races that are obviously here. But um, I, I wanted to talk about that in a sort of through the lens of Hollywood. I thought that was interesting. But I think the other thing that has nothing to do with Hollywood is about how Willis is really someone who thinks of himself as a background player, you know, and like this idea that I think we do get from our stories, but we also just have ingrained, which is that there are stars and then there are people that don't matter as much. And I really wanted to tell a story about like, what is it like for the character in the back? You know, what is it like for the person who doesn't get to have their own story? Doesn't their story matter just as much, you know? And I hope that people can come to the book. I guess this is not really a sales pitch, but I hope that there's a dimension of the book where people say, oh, I don't really care about that because I know what Asian stereotypes there are, or um, I don't care about a satire of Hollywood. You know, But I, I really feel like, even though I, I do appreciate that people pick up on the Hollywood satire, I also hope some people might be interested just as a story about finding your own story, You know, whether or not you care about that aspect. So. I appreciate you giving me the chance to say that. Often it's like you you won't get that question. You'll get, let's talk about the Hollywood stuff and the script. And I, I feel like sometimes even I forget that in all the writing of it, I wasn't just thinking of it as a Hollywood satire. You know, it was very much like a story about something else. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that um, because I really felt that in this whole Black Lives Matter latest movement and conversation and all that, it always seems that the conversation is always framed as black and white, black and white, but then, you know, what about all the other people? And so I think it's very timely that your book is out at this moment in time as well. So how can people learn more about you? Um, I have a website. Okay. Uh, We'll share that in the show notes. And like you said, uh, I think I have an interview with, up at, I guess, at TaiwaneseAmerican.org, which would be mm-hmm. uh, cool. And yeah, that's that's mainly it. I am on Twitter um, if people want to. I, I don't tweet that much. And lately, I'm just retweeting other people's <laughs> thoughts. But uh, yeah, I, I, I basically told you everything. There's nothing else to know about me other than this interview that you covered. <laughs> covered it all okay so everyone can just go to talking taiwan and listen to this episode <laughs> that's right great thank you so much charles i really appreciate it yeah i do too thanks felicia it's fun i've been speaking with charles Yu, the author of interior chinatown for which he has won the 2020 national book award for fiction to learn more about charles visit our website talkingtaiwan.com there we'll list any links related to items mentioned in this episode if you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, tell a friend about us, or better yet, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.